This is about how does your garden grow, which is actually, um, is of course, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. And I thought that um, it was contrary to, contrary to expectations, is, is what I'm thinking about, that there are, are projects at Oxford that we perhaps would not have expected to become so large, um, and they have. Um, but then the garden is now growing too fast, actually, for me. Um, and I have to think about how to make sure that this activity is sustainable. So thinking about particularly the Oxford Podcasts collection, and this is a collection of, it's a community collection that is collected from the community of people who are at Oxford. Um, and they contribute podcasts, which are recordings of their talks, into this central collection. So actually, it continues to grow every, every week, every month. Um, and we centrally look after it and tend it, but we have to pay attention to it and, and support it in its growth. So I was thinking about that kind of um, fertile and nursery sort of garden metaphors of small shoots and little acorns and, and what happens when these things grow. But also thinking about how when your garden is growing, what happens is you get quite sturdy roots that are embedded. But also that maybe the acorn doesn't fall so far from the tree, that actually the kind of activity that we're talking about, the reason it's so successful, is it actually isn't so out of character with what was going on in the institution anyway. And so perhaps part of being sustainable is thinking from the beginning about what kind of business you're, you're in and linking your community collection to that so that maintaining it will be something that you would be doing naturally or normally anyway in your core business. So, it's particularly for, for funded projects, when you're being asked by funders to show that the activity is sustainable in the future, you find yourself doing that towards the end, just as the resources are running out, mm -hmm. but thinking, perhaps I should have looked at this earlier. So, if, if the fact that some of the projects now are talking about sustainability because we're maybe two or three years down the line and we're trying to figure out about sustainability, then I would encourage other people to look at that look at this thing now. So what is it that you're creating? Have you looked into the sustainability of it in the long term? And sustainability doesn't just mean carrying on, I think. It isn't just keeping going, There's some, or else we would just call it continuing. There's something about sustainability, which is, and that word is used in many different places, not just in sort of just collections. Sustainability is used in, um, in geography, in economics, um, there's something about um, sustainable resources that actually has to do with maintaining things at the current level without exhausting your current resources, without bringing, taking those down, or damaging the reserves that you have for the future. And the, the language around sustainability, if you, if you read around it um, outside sort of the collections um, literature, it's mostly in um, environmental or urban development, geography, those kinds of um, those kinds of disciplines. So, if we sort of taking an environmental and an urban view of it, what we find is that it, sustainability tends to be described in terms of kind of um, people, planet, profit balances, um, which are drawn from ideas of folk 
work and place. There's things that sort of Patrick Geddes um, uh, sort of thinking about how how cities and um, communities are maintained within the place that they exist with the resources that they have and the impact that they have. And increasingly universities are being asked to um, to show their um, to, to show a triple bottom line. So it's not just about making money, um, we're also being asked to show our social impact and our economic impact, as well as um, our environmental impact. So there's that three measures of success, which is referred to as the triple bottom line. So, as this was a nursery rhyme, you might expect it to be ABC, of sustainability, but I've actually gone for the four E's of sustainability. E is for elephant, but it's also for economic, environmental, equity, and emotion. And the first three of those you would see commonly in literature around sustainability, particularly first um, urban sustainability. So um, it's about how much things cost, how much you're you know, taking into account the environment, the damage to the environment, there's also about equity and equal access to resources. But there's this other one, which I think is worth looking at, um, which is emotion. That if something is sustainable, what we want to do is make it something, if it's an activity that needs to be sustainable, and that also fits with the kind of environmental movement, we need people to buy in to that idea. So people have to want to. So in order for something to be sustainable, there has to be an emotional aspect to it. So economic, environmental, equity, and emotion. And that buy-in, when in learning technologies, which is my background, would, we would call that you know, academic, academic buy-in, the, the, the commitment of academics to wanting to do it. And so it's linking that to academic ethos in, in some way. So this is very much um, how learning technology groups, learning technology projects have been doing business for a long time, to so try to get that hook so that people want to do it. So thinking about the economic aspects, um, thinking about the business of the organization, there's, a, I think, an assumption within the university that only academics can contribute to things that are going on in academic collections. And many of the examples that we've seen today, which are crowdsourcing, are sort of saying that that isn't true. There's a range of people who can contribute into things. But also, the successful examples of the collections that continue are linked in some way to the business of the organization. So it's, it's um, something that the university would be doing anyway, but there's a research model which has needed a larger group of people to work on it. So things like the um, Galaxy Zoo and things like the Great War Archive could not have been created uh, without, uh, uh, without more people taking part in it. But there is an economic aspect to that, which is that the cost of each of those things comes comes down. So the, the cost for each of the submissions of things to the Great War Archive comes down because each individual thing um, actually costs less to, to do when, when members of the public are, are taking part. So you, you bring your cost down by involving more people. And with the podcasts um, collection, for instance, the more people who are making the podcasts themselves, that kind of DIY approach, means that it's possible for the um, collection to grow without each of those units having to 
either call on a central resource of AV support for movie making, or in fact have professional um, movie makers in their in their midst. If we train everybody up, they can they can have that sort of do-it-yourself um, aspect to the activity. So although Mother Hubbard might have expected to find it there, it turns out that in fact there's a wealth of resources um, inside the organization and outside the organization that can come in to our business. And the environmental aspects in, in literature around sustainability, usually environmental means the environment and, the, and green issues. Um, and that's a little bit harder for this, these four E's to fit, I think, with some of the digital collections we're talking about because we're mostly using the same infrastructure, so it isn't so much about green IT particularly. But a lot of the language is about nurturing and sustaining and fertile ground and um, uh, you know, planting seeds and protecting resources and growing collections. So there's, there's a, certainly a nature metaphor there. But it also allows us, this environmental heading allows us to think about the environment in which we work. Um, and so that's obviously the academic environment. And also doing no harm to the environment in which we work. And a lot of the resource that we have in the environment in which we work is, is human resource. So I have to be careful not to run down the current resources that I have, which is the, the staff who are looking after the collection, um, and also making it possible for them to, to, to stay in the future, but also not overload them. It's also true that a lot of the environmental movement, a lot of the green and sort of the environmental change uh, initiatives are based locally, and the strength is by local groups of people subscribing into an idea. Robert Ashton referred to that a little bit this morning about sort of fair trade and communities coming around um, to, to do something together. So that kind of buy-in of local initiatives is something that the environmental movement, particularly in sustainable cities, would see as a successful model. And I think that that's something we've seen, particularly um, at Oxford, where we've tried to put the activities of creating the resources locally into the colleges and the departments. And so there's, so there's local activity which feeds into a, um, a larger whole, where people can see their neighbors taking part in this. So what your neighbors are doing and whether they're doing this and whether they're part of this, is very much part of um, the kind of change initiative. And it's also true that we work specifically with some of our neighbors at Oxford Brooks and um, Harper Adams colleges with a, a view to not being competitive with neighbours, but trying to support our, our, our good friends and neighbours in doing some of the same activity uh, so that they can become part of it. What there is, of course, is the environment in which you work. Part of the environment in which we work is to do with our brand and the brand of all of the other presenters today. I think it's, it's, you know, it's the museums, and the universities and big organizations that have a very strong quality brand that makes it possible for us to open out parts of our activity to, um, to the community and have people trust us enough to want to be involved in it. So there's a leap of faith, which is that we have to relax our assumptions that other people should be able to be involved in what we're doing, but equally, we are providing a trusted place for them to come and, and make those first steps into being involved with creating collections that are for sort of academic or, or academic use. And of 
course, beware temptations. But it's actually something about that trust and that some of the projects that are perhaps less successful, I think, are unaware of, uh, perhaps don't have that strong root um, that connects them with an activity that was going to, going to happen anyway. So the other environmental issue, of course, is the academic environment. Um, and the context of Oxford is very uh, devolved. And so in order for our projects to be sustainable, we have to build structures that, that reflect that. It simply wouldn't have worked to crowdsource from the whole of Oxford if we had had to basically go out and find the material ourselves. What happened is it, it grew up from, uh, from local, local places in the, around in the different colleges, and people volunteered to put their, put their material in. So there's devolved and, and local ownership. Um, but it also means that the activity will continue as long as each of those colleges and units are continuing to produce, produce material. So it makes it possible to um, focus uh, collections in, in local areas, but also um, continue to sustain the center. The third E is, is equity. And there's several different aspects to thinking about if we have a digital collection, such as the podcast or any of our other collections, what can we do with regard to equity? So we're using this framework. So one of the aspects of equity is access to the resources and access for any the equal access to use it and reuse it. And so part of that is about the license that the material is made available under. That if it seems like it still just belongs to us, then it's not equally available to everyone else. And so the decision to release material in Creative Commons license with um, share alike um, and uh, with attribution but reuse and share alike um, licenses on it means that we are basically are prepared to share um, and, and license our material as open. And it's that same license which actually sort of adds value to the asset because it can be taken and used in many different ways or translated into many different languages, giving it value in different places. But also that perhaps makes it possible for the community to sustain it, that once it belongs to somebody else as well, they are more likely to look after it and nurture it and, and take it on to, to new lives of its own. So actually, the license that makes it open also sort of secures its future. Other people can make changes to it, but also we can change it into a different format if, if we need to. So it means we don't, won't, don't have to go back to the original person and ask their permission if the technology um, changes and we need to, to turn it into a different, different format. So there's the aspect of equity that is, is valued from the center, I think, is the informed decision making and the support for academic staff in deciding to make their material equally open, but also in making it equally accessible, the discoverability, putting it into places where people can find it, um, ensuring that it is easily found, um, that um, it's well organized, that it's clear what it is. So actually the, the asset itself can be made more available um, in a more equal way by that slightly um, the collection activity of metadata and making things discoverable. So there's something very important about people choosing to release material um, in this way and 
the, the very nice thing about Creative Commons is that more and more people are, are choosing to, to do this. So 400 academics at Oxford have chosen to, to put this badge on their material. It's a badge that it's kind of cool to have. People have heard of it because it's, a, it's what goes on in Flickr. Um, people are much more clear about Creative Commons. I think now that there's more music and, and artwork that discusses, that has Creative Commons licenses around it, it protects it for the future, but it also, for me, um, recognizes teaching as a creative act and the creation of learning materials as a creative act, and it puts it kind of into that space, which I think maybe the phrase open educational resources or open courseware didn't quite do. Um, what we're talking about at Oxford when we release our podcasts under Creative Commons license is that we are kind of talking about reputation and outreach, academic rock stars, and the, the Creative Commons license, I think, fits very well with that. And it's quite key to getting that emotional buy-in. So emotion generally, if you think about academic buy-in, um, and I was looking through my collection of pictures to illustrate um, what academic buy-in uh, might look like, and some people might suggest that it's, it's that, which would be the, the herding of cats, and, or the leading by the nose, perhaps, or running around giving, giving them everything on a plate, serving them, um, running around after them. But actually what we're aiming for is um, a lot of um, people very happy joining in and being part, of, being part of an activity and keeping doing it because you want to. So the emotion that goes with linking this new activity, the recording of things and putting them up um, and releasing them um, as open educational resources is about linking academic practice, motivation, and behavior change. And that's where I think um, this is very interesting from an um, institutional point of view in terms of sustainability, because if people don't want to do this, it cannot be, it will not be sustainable. We will continue to throw resources into it, and it will, and that will be you know, sort of expensive and use up our resources in that way. So spending time on the emotion and making sure that this is an activity that people want to do and that it's rewarded accordingly um, is vital. But also thinking about what kind of reward and recognition fits with academics and their own ethos of teaching and how this fits with the way that they see, um, see their business and their activity is quite subtle because obviously it's different for different people. Um, and it's about linking that to um, the, the ethos that they have, the way they see themselves, um, into the reputation um, and the kind of um, reward and feedback that they, they like to have. So what we've discovered is that actually getting feedback from users of podcasts, the people who are listening to the material, that actually that getting feedback from your listeners is actually something that is sometimes missing for academics on campus, that the students are just too cool to, um, to show their appreciation in any way and they come to lectures and then they sort of disappear off again and actually having somebody write to you and say that this has um, changed the way that they, that they think about something can actually be some really nice feedback that we're getting from being open and having those collections. But it's also about individual showcasing and, and, and being aware of what an academic's career and reputation and impact and outreach um, is going to be about. So there's something about trying to link into what motivates people to do something in order for it to be sustainable and also a feeling that we're, they're all in it together, we're all in it together. And it's 
that kind of community and crowdsourcing um, aspect, which I think makes it um, interesting as a sort of sustainability um, issue. And if we don't do this, then we may be left without a leg to stand on. And with that, I'm going to finish up in preparation for coffee.